0: In a world where three pudgy history teachers discuss random aspects of history... I've got
1: nothing. Oh, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah, I,
2: Wait, who you call him pudgy? Yeah, man, that's kind of rude. No, I'm rude. <laughs> It is time once again for the History Bros on this year podcast. And of course we play Band of Brothers because one of us finally caught up with the rest and finally watched (laughs) Band of Brothers. Yes!
0: How what did you what did you think? What did you think? I love it. Did you watch the the whole series now?
2: Oh yeah, I watched it in three days. (laughs) Oh (laughs) jeez.
0: You can't you can't chug a good beer. You have to you have to savor it. You have to.
2: I did, but once you get going, you can't stop. You know, once the once, uh, mm. uh, once you mm. pop, you can't stop. I think that what is that the the chips? You, but you
1: can. The you can. California digest. Highway Patrol.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I was. I remember. I gotta wait till my kids go to bed, so I couldn't start them till like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And I mean, I, c- I could cow, always- dude, so yeah. you're up till like one in the morning watching this stuff. I couldn't stay up past two in the morning. I still had to get up and do something <laughs> oh, the next day, <laughs> but he would have, if he could have, well, let's just say that I'm back on uh, Hawaiian time. And what I mean by that oh is not gosh. like laid back. I mean, I'm on a regular schedule. I just do it on what would basically be Hawaiian standard time, not, you know, central time like I am in it's bad I, I have problems
0: but, but but what did you think though what's, what's oh what's the um... I loved
2: it I really really enjoyed it uh, the, the stuff they get into is outstanding I wish cool. I could send or show the Holocaust episode what is it number eight or nine no yeah. Oh, yeah or seven maybe it is whichever one it is I would like to use that one in class but it might be just a little bit too much for middle schoolers. But I think they do a one, I mean, they depict things very wonderfully, and I think as accurately as they can. Um, sure. If you guys weren't paying attention, well, of course, we've announced this to the world that, not this summer, but next summer, uh, and and Hatfield, not Hatfield, uh, Gelmacher, you can reveal the big name, but there's a road trip we coming up. This? Are we? Oh, wow. I think We're this is there. it. Okay. I think this is it, <laughs> because I got to say something about this that relates to Band of Brothers. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Wait wait what what are we i'm confused now
2: <laughs> i kind of crapped on it i'm sorry what i kind of crapped on the announcement go ahead do it again oh uh announcing in 2021 there will be a road trip entitled geldmacher this is your time to shine <laughs> <laughs> the history bros present the celebrate america tour 2021. And it has nothing to do with music or anything. It's just going to be the three of us, or maybe a fourth one, depending on who Geldmacher has to bring along, or whatnot, or who pays. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, anyway, we're gonna we are starting uh, in somewhere, and we're not going to tell you where because we don't want you stalking us. Too bad. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> we're starting in Pittsburgh, yeah. and we're heading south and east-ish. And we're gonna see we'll some have of the. S-
0: one person from Germany fly
2: over to come and meet us up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for you here all day. <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible German accent. Yeah, it was. It was af- just awful. It I don't want to
0: say anything. I'm glad you did. That's okay.
2: <laughs> anyway, uh, no, we're gonna we're the plan is we are going to try to go to some of the sites that we have talked about, and uh, um, yeah, of course we'll we'll be recording some things and putting it out and. Hopefully we'll be able to record some videos and put them out on the Facebook page of. Uh, as we oh, like this to... will
1: be video heavy if I if I had to guess.
2: Yeah, my my hope is to call this uh, a whole bunch of as uh, Brian says, jackassery. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, we—that's well, we, we... an
0: assumption. <laughs> I, I would imagine we would be nothing but professional during this whole time.
2: Uh, <laughs> hey, oh. that that TV show called Jackass. They said they were professionals, so you know right (laughs) we'll leave it at that but anyway that's coming up you'll notice getting back to the band of brothers concept i was talking about if you guys look at the google map and when i say i'm talking about the i'm talking to you two guys because nobody else has access to the map i have marked for good radio go ahead uh, yeah yeah, exactly i have marked a number of (laughs) locations of dead people and where they die well not where they died but where they're buried and they're actually buried there and they're still buried there and if you were to dig them up, there'd still be stuff.
0: Wait a minute. Wait. Now, do we do we know for a fact that they're still there?
2: Right, right. I'm I'm, pre- I'm I'm pretty sure on this one, yeah. I'm, I'm going with it. I mean, we can ask okay. the cemetery people to double check, but I think we're pretty safe on these ones. <laughs> and the best part is I don't think they're going anywhere. What, what does that mean? Well, they're dead, so they're not going to get up and walk away. Did you have aspirations to to dig up, or what's going on, man? No, no, (laughs) I don't know what kind of kinky things you guys are into, but I'm not doing that. I'll be honest with you. I hate... twenty
0: one History Bros Road Tour and Grave Robbery (laughs) Tour. Something.
2: I don't... uh, We're we're headed to prison addendum. Here's the thing. I don't do well with... uh, I really don't do well with cemeteries, so there may be a whole bunch of, oh, there's the cemetery where they're buried. You two go have fun. I'll be right back here on the, the hard surface road where the zombies can't You're the can't guy re- who put these voices on the list, but you're not going to go in. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm terrible. I am terrible. Okay. Yeah, Here's totally this nice fun. paved road where I can stand where the, the, the zombies can't reach up to the ground and get me. <laughs> I'll be over here. Is that, a, that's, is that a real fear? That's a That's a real thing. I legitimately don't like cemeteries. No, cemeteries okay. and heights can't. Don't I don't okay. don't handle it well.
0: Because uh, well, out of curiosity, uh, what's your what's what's the big what's the big fear?
1: I've Is it
2: the never, hand creeping up and grabbing you? I think that's part of it. I, I mean, I mm-hmm. like to say yeah. that I am too respectful to walk on people's graves, but I'm. I, I think I really legitimately am scared that either the grave's going to collapse, I'm going to fall in. Or there's someone's gonna reach up. Or, I don't know what it is. I think it's just I don't like Dear dead God, people. Man, turn and I, the TV off, please. and I know that and I know that there's <laughs> dead people below you. Just stop watching so much over.
0: I have to say that I mean I just I've been uh, to a few graveyards in my time and only once. No, never. It's never. I was just. I was just to say I've never one fallen into a grave, and two, never been attacked by a zombie because it doesn't happen.
2: I should. Now you um... want to
0: talk about spiders? I'm on board. I got gotcha. you. Right. I got gotcha you right. on that one. You want to go into a crypt and, like, you know rub our bare butts around and then yeah okay i got that i i totally get n- why you wouldn't want to do that but um uh yeah. zombies not so much
2: <laughs> right 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 <laughs> i know i get it it's irrational but it's an irrational fear that i have and i, I have not overcome it yet so it's okay that's uh, all right nonetheless i marked a bunch of dead people's burial spots on there because you know i could <laughs> again one two three o'clock in the morning done with band of brothers hey this is where this person's buried it's close to where we're driving oh boy, oh boy. don't be shocked well, when you find a lot of that type of there. stuff i mean what's that new
0: every every week
2: what's what's <laughs> new every week
0: i said i mean we assume they're still there i mean you learn something new every it could be the acidic quality of the
2: soil <laughs> right you don't know. You, know you don't know I
0: mean, yeah you don't, yeah i know you're not
2: know. a you're not a scientist. No, I'm, I'm not even a historian. This guy, jeez. Uh, you know what? I can smell a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you know what? It's time for this day in history, and we got to we got to we got some extra ones in there this week, so we got to get going. Because they're yep. good ones. They're really good ones. <laughs> uh, I believe
0: you. Okay, and Rude, you uh, you start us off actually.
2: Oh, okay. Um, this week in history. April fourth, nineteen eighty five. Wrong. 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 The amazingly you? beautiful, ta- handsome, talented, and smart Jason Rude is born. Oh boy! Yeah, you weren't ready for that one. Oh boy! He did it that's out of order, by the way. I. Yeah. That's okay. All right. I'll. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. I uh, didn't think to uh, check on that. So that, that's that's oh, that's on geez. me. That's on me. That's on. Yeah. Me. Yeah. It is. Thanks. All right, <laughs> April fifth of eighteen or sixteen fourteen. Don't even start. Don't start with me. Don't you start? Don't you start? April fifth. Oh, no, I just what was it. What was it?
0: What was it? Last week?
2: What was, the, it was I uh, said seventeen
1: seventy nine at the Three Mile Island disaster.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. then somebody went on a long, long riff about at
0: an epic rant.
1: Yeah,
2: at nuclear power in the. Uh, uh, in the revolutionary times. Where, yeah, yeah. Where which I Green have to Knox say- <laughs> had bundled
0: up spent fuel rods yes. and carried them through the snow.
2: And I have to say, the improvisation there was quite impressive. I was very impressed with both of you, too. I wasn't amused because I was getting made fun of, but I was impressed.
0: <laughs> this, is, this is me curtsying.
2: <laughs> April 5th of right. 1614. Pocahontas of the famous hey. movie... Daughter of the Powhatan chief, oh marries John Rolfe. An English. To, no, it was John Smith in the movie. It It was it.
0: John Smith. It wasn't John Rolfe.
2: Yeah, Jeez.
0: Mm. It, Weren't you the one that seen like Pocahontas like seventy five times because of your <laughs> quote unquote daughter? Yeah, come on. No, 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 no. <laughs>
2: that's that's Frozen for two for me. It was uh, Gildmacher with Pocahontas.
0: Well, yeah, that's frozen.
2: I'm not sure what that means. You're, well, we're saying Geldmacher. You watch a lot of Pocahontas,
0: and this was you. You put these on here, so
1: I've right. seen the I've that. seen the movie Pocahontas exactly three times. Exactly three times.
2: Okay, not not even a partial. Like they didn't even walk in the middle of one of them. No. Okay. I hate it when you walk in in the middle of it.
0: What's actually interesting about mostly about the history of Pocahontas is that she's actually the one that discovers nuclear radiation
2: (laughs) right yeah yeah this is okay back to seriousness
0: (laughs) which is why 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 pocahontas
1: out of james river right
2: (laughs) pocahontas
0: look we put the pieces together people
2: (laughs) jesus oh my god pocahontas yeah pocahontas marries john rolfe an English tobacco farmer from Jamestown, the Native Americans and the uh, Virginia's governor both blessed the union, and it will lead to a period of peace. Do you? And uh, do uh, you... we
0: we we walked through the church that they were uh, that they were um, married in.
2: Indeed.
1: Uh, do you uh, do you know what they served at the uh, at the reception?
0: Lord. I don't. I think it was Mrs. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: My answer was going to be barbecue, so that's close enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tomato. (laughs) Virginia barbecue. I think it was Mrs. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) This this is a lovely dipping sauce.
2: (laughs) Did they use the drippings or what? Wow. That's what that's what oh, I do bro. when I make barbecue.
0: Miss Smith is always so salty.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. That was Jane. Oh, no, yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Mm. Oh, Who was Jane and why is she so salty? Yeah, that, that was Jane. But still, Mrs. Smith. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: it, I you know, know it, not a lot of people know that when Elvis sang "Love Me Tender." <laughs> oh,
2: <dude>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> he was just getting you ready. For, never mind. Uh, Gelmacher, you're next.
1: <laughs> he wrote that on Throwback Thursday because it, it was a nod back to uh, to the Jameson Times. Uh, April 5th, <laughs> 1772. <laughs> on. on Easter Sunday, 1772, 3,000 miles from the nearest continental land, Dutch explorers find a 63-square-mile island in the Southeast Pacific. Towering stone statues will mystify these first European visitors and others for centuries to come on what is now known as Easter Island.
2: Just remember not to give them bubble gum. Right.
0: You know, I guess, I guess it was good that it was Easter Island and say you know on Easter instead of say you know President's Day, because President's Day Island would probably be. <laughs> A mouthful, less climactic, maybe less mysterious.
2: Yeah, well, I didn't realize that's why it was named that. So, I mean, I learned something. I legitimately learned something today. But well, well, there you go. Man. You know, you look are jerk. For... Yeah. <laughs> what, what'd you say?
0: I said, "Look at me being a jerk."
2: It's okay. I think um, we're used to um, it.
0: That's wait, no, 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 never mind. Um, April second, eighteen hundred. Ludwig van Beethoven. What?
2: Yes, that's him. Is that the dog? Huh? Is, is that the dog from the movie? he's <laughs> Dees.
0: See, I'm it's
2: Dees? God. God.
0: Ludwig van Beethoven is pianist at the debut performance of the First Symphony at the Berg Theater. I see. I I didn't... I'm kind of like <laughs> sight reading this as I go. In Vienna, Austria, the 30-year-old composer also plays works by his friend Joseph Haydn and the late Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart.
2: That was glorious. They couldn't find. (laughs) Actually, the second
0: guy, um, he was playing works by, but um, it was difficult to find his stuff because he was Haydn. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God.
2: Jason Hatfield, he's here there, all even, week.
1: Even the even the masters are resorting to playing covers because I mean, <laughs> well,
2: it's
0: ridiculous. You know, once you've done so much, you know the new stuff. People just you know they always
2: want the you know they want bad, the hits. But... They want the hits. <laughs>
0: No, hey, Ludwig, you know, yeah, well, you want to play something off your new album, but can we do a little bit of, you know, I'm um, sorry. Free, said. free <laughs>
1: Free <bird. laughs>
0: Come on, piano man, piano man! And he's like, oh, Hemo.
2: <laughs> Not to do <whistle> so again. <laughs> Damn um, that Elton John
0: Immortal Beloved. No, I guess it was movie and um, Amadeus, also fantastic film. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yes, I was uh, I was able to play uh, uh, Salieri in two different productions of the stage version of um, Amadeus, which
2: is not to be good. Such a good show, which is not to be confused Mm -hmm. with Amistad. Yeah, vastly different story. Vastly
0: different. Well, I mean, just one's got a piano. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one's no, more right. music oriented right. and the other one's dealing with uh slavery right right
2: right, right. <laughs> it's
0: <a> mild difference
2: <laughs> oh my lord march 30th 1870 following a diffus- difficult ratification the u.s constitution's 15th amendment is adopted formally granting all adult black men regardless of previous condition of servitude, the right to vote. <clears throat> by late by the late 1970s, Southern states will 18, never... 1870s. God, Mm-mm. that's twice. Mm-hmm. By the late 1870s, Southern states will nevertheless take various steps to dis- disenfranchise black voters. It will take another 50 years for American women of any race to win the right to vote.
0: Now, living in the South, this is just... This is an agenda you're pushing here.
2: <laughs> it's your agenda. Oh, you put it in here.
0: I, I didn't put it in there.
2: <laughs> I, I'm going to tell people you
0: did. That was uh, a that
2: put that in there. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to mm-hmm. tell people mm-hmm. you did.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. The uh, Jim Crow, that whole Jim Crow. Do you, do you guys know how the uh, Jim Crow name came to be um, applied to this particular era?
1: Uh, you're gonna tell us anyway.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to hear you guys say it if you know. I'm just saying.
2: No, no, no please. I don't remember. Enlight- enlighten, us. I may. Have well, it, um,
0: there's a really good I Civics lesson mm. that discusses uh, the Jim Crow era, and um, there was a white performer, funny enough, whose name was Daddy Rice, and he would Ouch. paint his face black. And he would sing and dance in a silly way. And he created this character, because this is around the time of, I guess, what you would call vaudeville, which was this kind of like over the top kind of, you know, performance art. And he created this character um, named Jim Crow. Huh. And so obviously doing blackface and whatnot now, um, even then, I would say probably offensive. Sure. And um, so he would do this, uh, he would sing and dance. And so um, that character began to be sort of uh, associated with this particular era. So his character wind up uh, becoming the Now imagine that, you know, you're, hey, I want to do something really funny. And it winds up defining an entire racist, like century long struggle of freed, you know, African Americans being oppressed in the South right whoops yeah, yeah that's uh it's it's and the thing is is that you know and i was talking when we were talking about the jim crow with the kids there was a news story that came out a few years ago about um i think it was an elementary school that uh was doing like a dress up like your are a hero day and you could dress up you know and whatever historic person or whatever and come to mm-hmm. school well this one kid wanted to dress up as martin luther king jr and uh uh, come to school problem is is that the child was white Ugh. um which i mean and the thing is is that if you're you know a black student or a white student and you're wanting to portray you know a stu- you know a person from that other from that era i mean it's it's like you know if you're in this particular white student decided to uh to do blackface so that people would understand that he was just not a white person in a in a suit and the thing is is that because of his age he was not intending to come across as racist sure but you know still you would think that the mom would have been like maybe um let's let's maybe not do that let's just go there and if someone asks you then you can say i'm martin Luther king jr sure right but um it's not what happened the kids and the kids were like he did what and i was like well and I tell them what the age of the kid was, and they're like, well, I mean, that kid probably just didn't know any better, but the mom should have said something, so. Right. But, um, yep. Anyway, there you go.
2: We won't talk Perfect. about No, never mind. All right, who's up next? <laughs> April 3rd, 1882,
1: outlaw Jesse James is brought down by a member of his own gang, 20-year-old Robert Ford. Although James had been a notorious criminal, public sentiment will turn against Ford for
2: shooting an unarmed man in the back of the head. That was not nice. It was back and to
0: the left. No, actually, forward and <laughs> to the right. Forward and <laughs> to the right.
2: Nice. What in the nice. world? Nicely, done. Oh, Jesse James. Uh, the the wild, wild. You know, I've been to Dexter, Iowa, where he, he did the first train robbery west of the Mississippi. Cool. They derailed the how train. How many did he
0: do east of the Mississippi? Uh, I don't know.
2: No, I meant the first one ever west of the Mississippi. Oh. oh. First ever bank robbery? No, no, no. Train robbery. Train robbery. You said that. Sorry. That's okay. I got it right this time, so you can't screw it up when you know when I do get it right.
0: <laughs> you don't hear so much about train robberies anymore. I wonder
2: why. Um, I don't know how much gold is being shipped on trains anymore. Well, maybe they're just not telling us for a reason. Yeah, that could be. Obviously, it's a
0: deep state conspiracy.
2: You know, have you ever noticed Perfect. the symbol Perfect. the symbols that they put on the sides of trains? I bet you're gonna tell us. No, I was <laughs> implying something along the lines of the shape of airports. Oh boy. There's That's no symbols video. on the side of the train oh, other than March
0: 31st. <laughs> I'm gonna pull rude. Nineteen eighty-nine.
2: Oh, that was not too long ago. <laughs> You're a jerk. Oh, in
0: high school. Um, in 1889,
2: 1889, I believe it. I believe that.
0: 1889, towering nearly a thousand feet over the streets of Paris, Gustave Eiffel's monument to the cent is it centen centena- centenary? Cin- um, it's been a while since the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is formally dedicated. Many French intellectuals deem it an eyesore. This looks like it's terrible. It's like somebody put poop in the middle of town. Um, But it will come to be regarded as a cultural icon of France. He also designed uh, the interior structure of another
2: iconic thing. That would be... In uh, the harbor there in New York, correct? That
0: would be correct, sir.
2: He did, yep. and you know what else? He sort of, kind of, while well, they out. They're... Who here has it read the book "The Devil Devil in the White City"?
0: You know, I've heard about it. I'm planning on isn't that the um, H H during the, one of the world's fairs or something along those lines? And a guy was yes, uh, it was. Yeah, kind of like a Jack the Ripper sort of thing almost. Yeah, his name's HH H- Chicago, right? Correct.
2: So basically, yeah, it's the uh, Columbian Expedi- Exposition of 1893. And it's this story of HH H. Holmes and what he was doing to terrorize uh, basically stock and and take these people back. And you talk about cannibalism. He wasn't so much doing it for cannibalism. He was killing them and selling the skeletons to like people that wanted them for like, uh, legit educational things. He was an actual doctor. But he took great, great pride in his, um, the way he would kill these people and torture them and whatnot. But then it's also the story Ew, of uh, Burnham. And I forget what who the, his partner was, but basically it's the architects that developed the skyscraper and, and developed the, the floating suspension system for it. And then part of what they're talking about is, you know, the Eiffel Tower was the big deal in, in Paris, France. So at the Columbian Exposition, you have to do something to top that, you know. So what are you going to do? And they used to talk about, uh, you know, maybe Eiffel himself will submit something and he'll, he'll out-Eiffel Eiffel. And, of course, the thing that finally does come around is the Ferris wheel, which they found the pilings for the Ferris wheel, uh, by the main hmm. science building, which is now the Museum of Science and, and Industry in Chicago, they found the pilings for it, the original Ferris wheel. Um, but that's whenever whenever I hear about Eiffel, that it always goes back to that that story about and uh, in, in oh, that book. Cool. So it's a good one. It's a good one. All right, is it me again? It's me again. Yep. April 4th, 1985, the most awesome person, especially on this podcast, was born. He was so sweet. We just love him. Nice job, Rude. Oh, gosh. Still As not my enough. my grandfather used to say,
0: he who tooteth not his own horn, the same goeth untooteth.
2: <laughs> All right. April 4th, 1968, uh, visiting Memphis, Tennessee, to support working, or striking workers, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. is shot dead, is shot and killed as he stands on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. Months later, James Earl Ray will be charged with his murder. And uh, I believe James Earl Ray has now died in prison here in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And of course, Martin Luther King Jr. died um, that day.
0: Yeah, they uh, made that into a museum.
2: Yes, that is correct. I've not gotten a chance to get down there to see that, but I would I would really yeah, like to. Yeah, right.
0: Why is it? The, I mean, there was a, the, the play Assassins always talks about, you know, why do all these uh, Assassins always have, like, three names? You know, James Earl Ray, John Wilkes Booth.
1: That's the media. So it's, they want to make sure they're identifying the correct person so they use the middle
2: name. Right. Yeah. That media once again. Dang it. So what what we're saying is if, if Hatfield were to do something nefarious and notorious, we would then know him as uh, Jason Zofifis, uh Hatfield. Um, actually, my middle name's Tiberius. Is it really? <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> You're right it's probably like you're right, Maud. You're, right. Maud. you're right you're right you know your own name good good job <laughs> it's probably mod i usually
0: just sit in my room and yell out con
2: oh,
1: wow. <laughs> Oh my oh, March 30th, 1981, as he's leaving a Washington, D.C. hotel, President Ronald Reagan is shot in the chest.
0: Good in Lord, chest. what is up with everybody getting shot in this last half here?
2: Everybody's getting sick of winter going into it's, spring. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, this <laughs> is, in a sense,
1: in a, in a, in a <laughs> by John Hinckley Jr. What is his middle name? We don't know. Uh, doctors will later reveal that the bullet misses the president's heart by just... One inch.
0: Now, John Hinckley was um he was infatuated with Jodie Foster. Correct. correct. And, and he thought that by
1: shooting a... the president, it would garner him the attention he was seeking from her.
2: His middle name is Warnock, by the w- by the way. <laughs> is that ser- seriously? Dead of course serious. it is. Oh, wow. It's a family
0: name. <laughs> wow. Dead serious. Okay. <laughs> from the old country. <laughs> I gotta say, you know, I'm 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 getting a little tired of all of these, you know, this day in histories of people <laughs> shooting each other. So I'm really people <laughs> shooting other people. So I'm kind of happy that this last one's a little different,
2: just a little bit. People April shooting other 15th, people. April fifteenth,
0: nineteen ninety four. Yeah. At the height of his popular success, Kurt Cobain, the lead singer and driving force behind the alternative rock band oh, Nirvana. No. He doesn't. Hey, he doesn't shoot anybody, and nobody's.
1: <laughs> that that we know of. Fully. That's out there too.
0: I set that up so <laughs> offensively. I really, did. I know exactly what was coming. Oh, so boy. Kurt Cobain, um, I remember uh, he, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, he uh, has a self-inflicted uh, shotgun wound to the head. Although some Allegi- people,
1: allegedly. allegedly,
0: some people think that there's a little bit of a, of a um, uh, what's his name? The one that's going around right now with Clinton. I, I don't Didn't know. Didn't kill
2: himself. <laughs> oh, that narrows she- it down. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Epstein. There, there, some people think that it's a whole Epstein didn't kill himself kind of thing. Oh,
2: Epstein's not riding around with Clinton. No,
1: that was, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We
0: <laughs> have just completely crossed the Rubicon on this one, I believe.
2: Did you know that that's a river? Because yes, I didn't for a long time. We didn't talk
0: about that before. But um, some people believe that his wife had somehow assisted him or something along those lines. There was a, a rumor about that. and
2: Courtney I remember Love? a whole
0: bunch of people um, gathered around outside the house. Um, and they re- she had recorded... Uh, reading um, a suicide note that he had left. And then they recorded, they, they, she recorded like her response while reading it. Like audio, it wasn't video, I don't think. And they uh, played that on the loudspeakers for everybody that had gathered outside. But uh, Nirvana was, I mean, that was like one of the, really just, that I can recall. I mean, you had Soundgarden and stuff like that, but Nirvana was really one of the first ones that was like that really just angry, um kind of grunge sort of band and they're um you know it smells like teen spirit. I, I wore that out on I think my tape player that I had in my car at the time. <laughs> but um yeah, that was um you know, there were so many he and then uh, Lane Staley.
1: Yeah uh, who, from Allison um, Chains,
0: yeah. Chains. Um the thing about Lane Staley is that they didn't find his body. Liberty Mutual take what? Of, a while. Oh. After that, I think. Um, But, um, and now, of course, um, uh, lead singer of uh, uh, Soundgarden just recently killed himself Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So,
2: yeah, I don't know what it is. But, um,
1: to play us out. No,
2: that's fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Play us
0: out? What does that mean to play us out? What does out? that mean to play us out? <laughs> Nirvana will play us out. I don't. I don't get it. What does that mean? You know, do it live. We'll do it live.
2: I, I think. All right. I think we. Yeah, are. We'll do it live. I think we are doing it live. I, 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 I think we are, guys. I think we're doing it live. Oh, this couldn't be any worse. Oh my lord. Oh, well, it
0: could. Oh, it's so totally.
1: good. Oh, it
2: could. Gentlemen, I am very excited that uh, we were able to get our guest, our guest back once again for another another week here. Drew Gruber is going to join us again. Oh, you
1: good. You know, we good. got through
2: everything about what was going on as far as like the digital learning age and, and digital tourism and non-digital tourism, uh, and it was a great conversation. I loved it, mm-hmm. um, but we never really got to the stories that we wanted to get to with the Civil War and the pantsless soldiers and all that stuff, so... Mm, uh, if, this should be fun. Yeah, we're gonna bring him back, and we're gonna get to those stories uh, after the break here. But uh, cool. Drew, Drew's just a good, good, good dude, and uh, once again, we're gonna bring him back and and enjoy some Drew stories.
0: And maybe we can talk to him about his um, family ties to Hans Gruber.
2: Uh, or that's maybe the question we. Everybody's waiting. For. Maybe we yeah. don't. <laughs> What? well
0: you know it's, it's whatever it's well know, the last not, time we talked it's, it's about not my show it's not the jason show. it's not the jason tiberius hadfield show it's a history pro, so it's whatever you guys
2: want well right but i mean like the last time we talked about family ties in this show we haven't heard the end of it that's we've never discussed
1: people, michael people J. fox keep... on this show
2: what good we've
1: point. never did and michael gross we've never discussed no. them on this show i don't know what you're talking no. about family no. ties that's ridiculous
0: yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, and who God. can forget, you know, making your way in the world today <laughs> takes everything you've got. I mean, that's the family ties thing. L-
2: Listen here. Uh, L- listen here, McCoy. What
0: was, it? What was I singing?
2: <laughs> listen here, McCoy.
0: Oh, hey, you've been in the Hatfield McCoy Dinner Theater, but forget that <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, that's what. That's what. We're, yeah, yes. Very good, Hatfield. That's Can that's what we're. Can tell
0: that we've been under lockdown for like three weeks now? Anyone?
2: <laughs> Bueller. Bueller. This is what we call the tipping point, Bueller, right? Now.
0: I just want to say real quick before we before we transition into uh, the break. I just want to oh, say that you right, know that kind of transition. North Carolina has you know established this kind of stay at home thing. I don't know how it is going in um, Iowa or Missouri.
2: We just got extended uh, to the end of the month uh, as we were mm. recording this.
0: Um, what's the date for schools for you guys right now?
2: Uh, as of uh, twenty five minutes ago, twenty minutes ago, it is now April thirtieth for us.
1: I, I think we're May first.
2: Yeah, we're still May fifteenth. That'll currently. change. That's gonna change. Yeah. Well, you
0: know, hopefully, but um, you know, so they're wanting you to stay at home, and there have been a couple times I've ventured out to go get groceries and stuff like that, and it gets you start to get panicky the more that you're in there because you're thinking I'm really gonna get get this and get sick, um, and uh, so uh, it, one of the things that I've started doing is trying to order more things to come to the house Mm -hmm. um so you'll order them online they'll ship them to your house and then um because you know you're shipping them so that you don't have to leave the house because you know they're trying to have people shelter in place and so um my apartment complex the office decided to um no longer like really accept packages for you know having that interaction with people to potentially you know try and reduce their exposure to the virus as well as potentially spread it as well as it being sure. on the packages so I'll be at home and I'll get a notification that they tried to deliver the package but they couldn't so that they'll have it at the post office in two days for me to come and pick it up so wow. then I will leave the house to go pick up the package that I had ordered so that it could be sent to my house so that I couldn't leave my house
2: it's, sure. uh, yeah, got to love it. Got to love it. I, it's, uh, you know, just the little
0: <laughs> kinks in the system.
2: They still bring the stuff to my house. I got a book on the Ghost Army today, so I was pretty excited. Anyway, we're rambling. Oh, cool.
0: Are you talking about Lord of the Rings? N-
2: the Ghost Army? Yes. No. Yeah. You guys have never heard of the Ghost Army?
0: Yeah, Lord of the Rings.
2: No, we talked about this. I was going to say, we might have to do more on it, apparently. after I'll, I'll read the book first. All right, moving okay, on. You'll, okay.
0: You will exchange notes. I'll read Jack Henson's One Man War of a Civil War
2: Sniper. <laughs> and you can uh, read that. And
1: I, and I will not. I will not read that.
2: We'll let Hatfield do it. It's more his his cup of tea. Sure. He's a southerner.
0: Oh is that, boy. What's that supposed to mean? Supposed
2: I'm to just mean? saying that you live south of the Mason Dixon Mason, we'll line. We'll be right
1: back after the messages. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and back we are here with the bros ready to go with more from drew gruber he was on with us last week uh, brought him back to do a little bit more but i want to turn their attention now to some of our favorite stories of the civil war oh, um, yeah. and, and i got <laughs> i got the guy here who can do that um, and i've got a few questions that i wrote down i'll be honest with you drew my my wheelhouse is gettysburg um i'm out there uh, at least through this year once a year um i, I have, have read on that i've read alan guelzo's book uh the last invasion i just started Stephen sears book on on uh, uh gettysburg the, the gettysburg campaign at least i think it's called have gettysburg.
0: you looked at uh, jack henson's one man war of a civil war sniper by any chance <laughs>
2: i have not <laughs> should i
0: okay okay just make sure
2: um, I've read uh, stuff on the 20th Maine. And of course, that's uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and whatnot. Um, so I'm going to start in Gettysburg just because I like Gettysburg, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. But, you know, when you look at Gettysburg, obviously it's gotten a ton of press, and it's gotten a lot of books and, and a couple movies, and uh, the, the History Channel's done stuff on it. Even recently they've done stuff on it. Um, when you look at the grand scheme of the war, how important was Gettysburg or is it possible that it's overplayed just because of the commercialization in books and movies um, or the, or the, the sheer size of it? Um, I'm just, or, or maybe does the, the, the focus that it gets, is it warranted maybe?
3: Good question. Um, so I have a couple answers, but again, I'm going to couch this by saying I'm not a historian. So of course there's tons <laughs> of historians who have written phenomenal books about each day of the battle, each hour of the battle going to and leaving from the battlefield. Um, it is, it is omnipresent in our collective minds. And I think for all intents and purposes, Gettysburg is the most important battle because it is at least in our public memory, that initial thought, when somebody says civil war, you immediately think Gettysburg. True. So if mm-hmm. that's, if that is the gateway drug for people, then get it with Gettysburg. That's, <laughs> that is cool. That's cool with me. Um, I, I suspect that there are multiple, multiple classes and lectures that will address exactly that question. Mm-hmm. Is it the turning point? I went to a symposium uh, two years ago now, the Emerging Civil War Symposium, which is a great mm. group of people if you're not following their blog, uh, and certainly their symposium, you should be. Um, but the you know one of the discussions was you know Gettysburg was it the turning point, or what was the turning point of the war, and of course, everybody would argue Gettysburg tour, you know, it it's always going to be in the public light. Um, I've seen people argue that Gettysburg is the most popular because it, how close it is to, you know, the mid Atlantic and North, you know, Northeast region, where there's the most amount of population. Of course, it's the biggest preserved. Is that because it was the furthest into Yankeedom, as some have said? Um, you know, multiple different reasons why I think Gettysburg is sort of on our radar. And it should be because it is important. Um, but, you know, when I look at the Civil War as a whole, I sort of see two events that maybe give us a little bit of a pause on Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. A lot of people like to say that you know Gettysburg is the Confederate high tide. Have you guys heard that before?
2: Oh yeah. Oh, I've been to the high water mm-hmm. mark many times.
3: Oh, the high water mark at the high tide, and bring your waders because yeah. it is. <laughs> um, you know, it's just. But you know, if you think about the Confederate high water mark, it's it's really the fall of eighteen sixty-two. I mean, at this point, the Confederate army is in Kentucky hmm. They're in Maryland. They'll have the most amount of territory that they will ever have. That's true. The majority of the war. So really, at least so far as I understand it, I'm sure the minute you hit press on this, you know, there'll be other historians who are like that Gruber guy, the real high tide was. <laughs> um, but in my mind, the Confederate high tide, you know, fall of 1862, um, they're also vying for, you know, um, really political support internationally. And they're doing pretty good in having these conversations um, with folks, you know, like in like in England, for example, mm-hmm. um, and then of course when you have this idea of a turning point, a lot of people will say Gettysburg, um, but for me it it happens in Virginia, um, you know, during the Battle of the Wilderness when Grant's army is sort of stopped cold for a few hours, in in the morass of the wilderness when Grant decides to to move towards his left and head towards Spotsylvania. It's one of the first times that the union army doesn't make a reversal after a defeat. And it, and really the total war, at least in my mind, sort of opens up there. Sure. Um, So yeah, I mean, Gettysburg, important. Absolutely. Um, Mostly for our memory and for that kind of being the gateway. I mean, I remember Man, refinishing driveways or resealing driveways to afford, you know, to gain enough money to afford to buy the double VHS set of Gettysburg. (laughs) Um, Yep, man, I was stuck on that thing, and that was it for me. I mean, I was all in, all in. Um, That was a lot of driveways too, but (laughs) yeah, absolutely. You
0: know, I I had a uh, a person that I worked with um, who's big in the history, and he had visited Gettysburg. And he, he was sitting there and he was like, I'm wondering where the North Carolina troops were. And he said he spotted two, we'll say chubby, uh, pasty uh, <laughs> tourists. And they were on the field. And he says, I bet you if I follow them, they'll take me right to where North Carolina was. And he was right.
2: Well, it's not hard to find. It's the first stop on Confederate Avenue.
0: I That's just, that's just the story that he told me. I just that's okay. That was, it's you know, okay. Oh, there
2: so, you go. As you can tell, uh, all three of you, I've spent a lot of time there to the tune of I have figured out kind of the battle line. And of course, we're talking day three for the most part. There is kind of how Confederate Avenue is laid out. You've got the, the North Carolinians uh, more towards the north, closest to the seminary than the Virginians. And then on down, there's others speckled in there. But, uh, Drew, do you have a, uh, a favorite story from Gettysburg before we switch to other battles?
3: Man from Gettysburg, it's not a specific combat story, but my favorite Civil War soldier of all time was captured at Gettysburg. Okay. Um, some of you may remember this name from Williamsburg. My favorite Civil War soldier of all time, and the guy that I hope one day to actually finish writing a book about, was captured at Gettysburg. He was with the 4th Texas when they assaulted Little Round Top towards the 20th Main. Mm-hmm. And his name was Decimus et Ultimus Barziza. Nice. I, do I think I remember you name.
0: mentioning that because that's not a typical name that you hear in Durham, <laughs> North Carolina.
3: It's a household name. Right. Um, <laughs> no, And I mean, this, guy, this guy's experience during the Civil War is surreal. And I'm like 90% sure now he didn't make any of it up. Um, so yeah, if, he, if you or any of your listeners have a chance to read a book or find the book called Adventures of a Prisoner of War... That is the book that he publishes after he was captured at Gettysburg. Um, but no, definitely my favorite Gettysburg anecdote of all time sticks with uh, Decimus for sure.
2: And what's the name of that book again?
3: Adventures of a Prisoner of War.
0: And what was the guy's name fully again?
3: Decimus at <laughs> Ultimus Barziza.
0: Ultimus.
3: Decimus. Oh, that's outstanding. That's you
0: know, outstanding. A, no, no. Ultimus is my middle name, baby. I mean, that's,
3: I mean you know. really like if I ever write the book on this guy, I'm just going to put his name on the jacket cover and no title cuz I'm pretty sure <laughs> people will buy. It.
2: That's awesome.
0: People are going to think, was is isn't this like a Roman history book? I don't understand
2: this." Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming you've had a chance to go up there and
3: see it. Gettysburg? Yeah. Uh, yeah, once or twice. Yeah.
2: once or twice, yeah. <laughs> I suppose do you guys have signs up that far?
3: We do. Uh, We don't have signs in any national parks. The national parks have their own system of signage, but we get people to each of the national park sites and then from. So, for example, you can follow the Gettysburg Trail from, as I said before, Leesburg and follow it turn by turn by turn until you get onto Confederate Avenue. Um, And then if you wanted to follow Lee's retreat from Gettysburg, you can also follow that. So, yeah, we have signs all in and around that area. And, in fact, we're currently expanding further into Pennsylvania now. So that's our our sixth state that's come on the program.
2: Okay. So that would bring –
3: Well, quick quick question. What are the the states? You said you have six states. What are those? Yeah, thanks. Uh, So Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Oh, wow. Hmm. So with the three counties in Pennsylvania currently on, we're at just about 200,000 square miles.
2: Mm. Holy cow. Wow.
3: Yeah, it's a Um, lot for two guys
2: to handle. It is. It absolutely is. Um, So, uh, and this is something I kind of alluded to. It seems like, to me, the bulk of uh, the Army of the Potomac and the Army of Northern Virginia did their fighting in a fairly condensed area, at least to me, it seemed like, within a few hundred miles of Richmond, with a couple outliers, of course, the... um, Uh, the Antietam campaign, which is not what the Maryland campaign, I think is what it was called. And then obviously the Gettysburg campaign are kind of outliers. But is this really the case that it was that kind of in the same area? Because when I look at like the wilderness, Fredericksburg, uh, Spotsylvania, um, and there's one more I'm missing in there um, that's just to the east of the wilderness. uh, Chancellorsville. Chancellorsville. They're all kind of right in the area. Am I – wrong? Do I have a twisted sense of geography here or is it really the case that most of this war was fought within kind of a box?
3: Well, so I wouldn't say it's twisted um, but certainly this has been an ongoing conversation with both historians and advocational history folks and visitors too. I mean, when you have two nations at war with each other, it's only natural that the area between their two capitals is going to be sort of ground zero, right? So for the poor farmers in northern Virginia, Yeah. It's not going to be a great war for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you see a lot of the maneuvering between those two capitals because it's exactly that. I mean, when you're standing on the Potomac river, you, you are looking into a new nation. Um, And for a lot of people who will follow the trail sites to some of the Potomac river crossings and physically cross them on foot, they, they get this sense that they're charging into a new country. It's kind of, it's kind of cool when you stand there and do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, so a lot of the action is going to take place there, but you know, I would give you pause to consider some of the other areas of the country where there's a lot of fighting. I mean, the area between Chattanooga and Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in and around Kentucky. I mean, these, these major arteries of travel, um, are going to be, of course, augmented by the railroad, which is going to allow guys to be more mobile. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, a lot of a lot of people have focused on the predominant number of the battles, which is going to be between be between those two, two capitals of those two warring nations. Um, But certainly when you even think about places like North Carolina, you know, from early on in the war, coastal North Carolina, although it's not a massive battle, will have host to dozens of small battles throughout the entire duration of the war. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are there are very, very, very few places in the nation that we know today as as America that aren't touched by the Civil War. I mean, you know, for example, we're talking today on March twenty sixth, And it's the anniversary of the Battle of Glorietta Pass.
2: Okay. Where is that?
3: So Glorietta Pass way out west uh, along the Santa Fe Trail.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, like, we're talking, like, Rocky Mountains west or?
3: Yeah, New Mexico Territory.
2: Oh, really?
0: Yeah. He said the Santa Fe Trail.
2: I, I understand that, but that that's a long trail. <laughs> it goes from one place to another, you know
0: as opposed to you know Santa Fe West Virginia.
2: You know hey <laughs> right. I'm going to google and find out if that exists. If it exists you're going to really eat uh, your, uh, uh your
0: please, words. please please serve me up a big old plate of crow. I'll be I'll be happy. Okay.
2: Well, I what I found out is that I don't believe there's a Santa Fe West Virginia. There is a Santa Fe uh Tennessee.
3: Hmm. So You know, the, the other the other thing I'd say, and I, I have to say this because it's just sort of in my psyche, is like however big the battle of Chancellorsville may be, if you have a woman who's from Illinois or Indiana or rural Georgia who gets that notification that her husband or son's been killed, I mean, for her that's the biggest day in the Civil War, right? Right. So when you think about the geography of the Civil War, I mean, I give you pause not to think about just sort of the martial implications of it, but definitely what's happening on the home front because it's it's immense, it's enormous.
2: That's true. That's very true. And I think that gets lost a lot, you know. Uh, you go to the, re- you know, there, there's reenactors and, and whatnot, and I'm sure you've met a few reenactors through your time. Um, but uh, so often we, we focus on the fighting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We don't think about the people that are back home, whether it's men, women, or children, or elderly, or whatever. Uh, yeah, they're, and they're affected just as bad. And I think, you know, we today we today in today's climate with what's going on in 2020 and March 26th, um, with this whole COVID-19 stuff and the coronavirus stuff. Uh, to a certain extent, I think maybe we can relate to that home front a little bit. You know, there's a lot of information out there, but we don't necessarily know what it is. And I shouldn't say we don't necessarily know what's accurate and, and, and a lot of things coming in and out. But we really don't know what's going to happen next. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making a weird correlation there.
3: No, I mean, let's, no. let's be real. When was the last time any of us on this podcast or any of your listeners thought critically about how much toilet paper they have, right?
1: <laughs> Two weeks and, ago. And I
3: mean, you know, to put that in comparison, for a woman who's living in middle Tennessee, she's probably looking at her stock of salt thinking, Is this going to be enough to get me through reading the newspapers or at least the rumors that are coming through about where the next Confederate Union Army is going to come through? Because let's be real, whether you be team blue or team gray, both sides are going to want the stock of salt or pork or chicken or, you know, firewood, whatever they can take from the local landscape. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, and again, this goes back to one of the first questions you guys said is where do we put our 21st century minds when we talk about the Civil War? And I think it's really cool to see a lot of public schools and a lot of museums encouraging people who are experiencing this COVID outbreak to keep a journal.
2: Mm-hmm. I've, done, you know, I've got my kids mm-hmm. doing it.
3: Yeah. 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 I had some, somebody laugh at first. They were like, why would I keep a journal? That's so silly. And I'm like, well, are you getting a little nervous? They're like, yeah. I'm like why are you getting nervous? Well, stuff is you on social media, write it down. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: And then go back and compare that to somebody from that time period or from World War II rationing or even the revolution, you know, um, and say, hmm, seems like the themes here are all similar. Man, I just came up with a good idea for a lesson right there.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, one of these days we're going to be, you know, talking to our grandkids about, well, we were down to like 13 packs of toilet paper. (laughs) And they'll be like,
3: how did you ever survive in those barbaric times? (laughs) <laughs> i mean I, i'll be real i didn't really take this seriously i mean of course i've been taking it seriously now and we're not you know we're trying not to encourage people to to go to our sites at, at least at this moment um but you know the other day i was coming back from the warehouse and i stopped at our local grocery store which was a trader joe's and i sort of walked in and everybody was kind of smiling and it felt normal and i walked in and it was empty oh mm. wow and it sort of dawned on me
0: empty as in people or empty as in pro- uh, product? products
3: products Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and it sort, of, it sort of dawned on me. And, of course, I couldn't help but make, you know, analogies to history, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, we've been lucky enough to have food and whatnot on the shelves here in um, in our grocery stores. But any of the things that you'd want to either wipe your butt or kill a germ are almost <laughs> in, impossible to find, no matter yeah. what. And, you know, and Amazon, my God, look at the wait times. We used to get stuff in two days around here. And now... <sighs> you're lucky if you get it in two weeks right you know i mean first world problems but i mean that's that's again it, it's trying to come find it. one of the things i've learned in every methods class i ever had for social studies was how do you make history relevant well i think this whole thing's made it pretty gosh dang relevant for us
1: sure oh yeah
0: yeah i've tried to put some lessons together about the uh, flu of 1918 um, to try and just do a comparison as to did we learn anything from that time and what are we applying it to this? So,
2: hmm. you know. I'm applying Germax, is what I'm doing. <laughs> Drew, I got a question for you getting back to the Civil War. Do you have a favorite general?
3: You know, I, I thought about this one um, and I appreciate they gave me the heads up, but it didn't really help me. Uh, um, sorry. <laughs> so, I feel like the first way for me to alienate uh, listeners is to pick a general. Um, fair, so I have fair. a canned answer, then I have an answer more critical. I, <laughs> I've never really found myself really pumped about a Civil War leader. I've never sat back and read a biography of, of you know, Lincoln or Grant or Lee um, or, or Jackson, and and really said to myself, "Man, that's my favorite Civil War dude." Mm-hmm. I just I've never had that moment. They're all you know incredible for their own right because they made these decisions, you know, whether we think today right or wrong, and they were able to have fortitude that I would have not. I mean, let's be real. In any of these situations, (laughs) I would have curled up in a ball and died on the side of a field. Like it just, I cannot do what any of these generals did, let alone be responsible for people. Um, But I find myself so incredibly inspired by the average people. You know, and I come across these people every day when we write. So whether it's an average soldier who left a diary or a scrap of one letter or one individual woman or one individual African-American family, they just inspire me to no end. And because we don't know as much about these individuals than we do about the generals, it allows you to sort of think more critically about maybe what they were feeling or who they are or why they acted that way. And, and to me, that's what makes history sexy. Is you know finding out just a little bit about a person who seems almost kind of like you, True. and then sort of running with why they made those choices. Um, so that's sort of my long answer. I guess if you really had to hold my feet to the fire,
0: please don't say William T. Sherman, or I will walk <laughs> off this
3: set right now. <laughs> oh that. boy! Let me change this answer real quick. Like, it's, about <laughs> <to get rude. laughs> it's About to get really awkward. He was gonna say stop. if I if you really had to hold my feet to the fire. The one general who I'm sort of inspired right now to know more about is a guy named Philip Carney from New Jersey. Okay. And so what? If you what, don't good know answer, about Carney, Google him. <laughs> but um, the uh, dude was. How do we spell uh, his name? Was,
2: I'll put it up on the page. What's that? How do we spell his name?
3: Phil, like Philip. Yep. <laughs> and Carney, K E A R N Y. So of all the generals right now, he's the one I'm probably inspired to know the most about at this moment. So but wasn't
0: his middle name like Maximus? Tardamus?
3: I don't know. I just,
2: <laughs> so is that like Philip Carney? Carney is that like Carney, Nebraska fame?
3: Uh, Carney, New Jersey frame. I don't. I don't know about Carney, Nebraska.
2: Okay, well, um, I'll have to do some some research into
3: that. But he he dies pretty early in the war. He's a mover and shaker at the Battle of Williamsburg. He leads his division in with only one arm. So he he actually is commanding his horse with the reins in his mouth and swinging his sword in his only good arm. Oh wow, he's, he's kind of a baller. Um, but yeah, no, no favorite general, but the one I'm sort of curious to know more about and dig into his story more right now is Philip Carney.
2: Well, fair enough. Um, huh. I, uh, I always like to look at, and you, I got called out pretty good at this at, at Williamsburg. I won't say by who, <clears throat> um, Drew, uh, <laughs> is uh, Dan Sickles, <laughs> because he's an interesting character. And uh, there's a good debate back and forth about, you know, at Gettysburg, did he do the right thing to do the do the wrong thing? But I think you made a really good point that, and it set set with me really strong there. That you know you get a piece in when you find a piece of what he wrote, or 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 whatnot, and get into the psyche of what he was thinking in that moment. Um, there, of course, you know he's got a long history going back to uh, some some incident with a a disgruntled lover, but. Uh <laughs> we haven't gotten to that one on the bros yet. We, we we're going we're going to do an episode on that sometime, but um, you know, he's an interesting cat. I don't know. I I'm curious to know what you think of of old Dan Sickles.
3: You know, uh... I'm gonna go back to the peach orchard debate, and I'm gonna I'm gonna deflect from your question briefly. And that's okay. So, <laughs> you know, like this this is the one thing I guess that drives me nuts about Gettysburg is like you can pick oh uh, well why didn't why didn't Pickett do this or why didn't Longstreet come up earlier? Why did Sickles move his guys down into the peach orchard? And then people will just wax poetically about why these decisions were made. Well, you weren't there, right? <laughs> right. right. You didn't have glasses in you know up in in front of your eyes as cannon fire was coming towards you and 20,000 guys were like yo what do you want us to do right now right <laughs> right and, yeah and and I don't know if any of us would have the gumption to do those things particularly so i don't know when it comes to Dan Sickles i would say that my my knowledge is limited on him to make any degree of criticism but i am always critical of people who like to backseat general 150 years after the fact mm, i think sure. anyone who could maneuver soldiers on the field of combat, whether they did it well or not so well, um, deserves some degree of recognition for doing something that the, the what four of us here on the podcast um, have the pleasure of sitting in our Chairs and discussing 150 years later with a whiskey in hand. Right. Um, so that's that's my speed on generals and and people backseat generaling 150 years later.
2: And, and I think that's fair. And sometimes, well, not sometimes. I always tend to forget that myself. And that's I was reminded of that uh, nine months ago again by, by somebody and and very fairly to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and like I said, you know, the guy is what he is, and uh, if you go back and look at his experience, you can kind of see why he may have been thinking what he was thinking at the time. And, you know, there's more justification to it than, than whatever. But at the same time, again, who the heck was I? I didn't, I wasn't looking at at you know, 20,000 angry guys wearing a gray shirts and whatnot. So you, you make a good point,
3: <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if sitting around and trashing George McClellan or debating, you know, whether Robert E. Lee should have remained, um, you know, it, it, as a as a general to the United States, um, those are the things that sort of keep our discussions sort of going with friends. And it's kind of nice to to debate the what ifs of history, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't mean to be, you know, ugly by saying, ah well, why why discuss generals? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's just the reality of the situation. We, we weren't there. But of course, that's what makes history so incredibly exciting to follow and learn and study. Is every time we think maybe we've got this thing wired, a new piece of information will come out. Maybe one day everybody will agree that Dan Sickles' movement to the peach orchard was, you know, just masterful.
2: <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, when you look at that, you know, if you get a, a beginner to the Civil War, um, you know, like Hatfield knows a little bit, but he's he's even said that it's not his strong suit. So he he he's probably going to need a book to help him along or, or, a well,
0: to, to be fair, it's like growing up in the Southeast, you're inundated with Confederate imagery. And I mean, I went up to um, outside of Cleveland and that was the first union monument that I'd ever seen. Oh, wow. And um, so it's, I mean, really in the South, you have just Confederate memorials over and over and over And, um, so it's, it's almost kind of like basketball and baseball and that kind of stuff. It's kind of like you, you can see it anytime, anywhere. And so it's sort of like, it's, so it's, for me, it's kind of been something that, well, I've just seen so much of it. It's not, um, it's something that I, as I'm working my way through my nerdathon I will eventually be getting back into. And I know we had a little discussion of uh, me reading Shelby Foote's book. (laughs) Um, as well as uh jack henson's one man war of a civil war sniper but um but yeah go ahead and ask your question (laughs) rude
2: i tried to be funny and i really sucked at it i apologize i kind of threw you (laughs) under the bus and did not mean to do that but um drew what what recommendations for books do you have for people that are, are looking to get some more information you know either a you know, And maybe there's some that lean one way or the other, or maybe there's some that are, are really balanced. Do you have some good recommendations of, of either uh, books, um, even primary sources, or, or like databases to find primary sources, or even movies uh, or documentaries?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a few things that I, I kind of keep coming back to. Um, whenever somebody sort of asks me, you know, I'm kind of interested in the Civil War, but I'm not really sure if I'm interested in the Civil War. There's one book <laughs> I always hand them. Um, which was written by the now late Tony Horwitz. And that's a book called Confederates in the Attic. Oh, I love that book.
2: Mm. I love is that it? book. <laughs> Sorry. I love um, that book.
3: It's just, it's so approachable and it's not a recitation of historic events. And it sort of dips into the idea of why the civil war, as you just put so eloquently is sort of omnipresent. Like it's just, it's everywhere. And, and why, why do we have this memory? It's funny in certain points. It's sort of eye opening, and I would almost say sort of scary in other points. But it's just so easy to read, and it's relatively small. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you don't if you don't find yourself thinking about how you fit into the narrative of the Civil War after you've finished Confederates in the Attic, um, then we don't need to recommend any other books to you.
2: Right, right.
3: (laughs) So that's one. Um, Another one that I've recommended a lot lately um, is. Is has to do with the Confederate battle flag. So so again, these aren't like general Civil War books. They're, they're books that sort of allow you to think a little differently about the war. Um, and there's a couple chapters in this book called The Confederate Battle Flag by a guy named John Koski. It's C-O-S-K-I, um, which really talks about why and how we view the Confederate battle flag today as something that it was really not intended to be when it was first created. Um, so he has a really nice couple sections in here where he talks about, for example, like the rise of the Dixie Party and how they sort of adopted this symbol and how we then saw it become sort of front and center during, you know, civil rights and how that changed and morphed, you know, the memory of that flag. So it's a phenomenal book, very much in the same regards, as the Confederates in the Attic, because it's it's modern. It's it's not a recitation of historic events um per se and it really allows you to think more critically about you know, how you interact with what is the legacy of the civil war which is which is really cool
2: sure sure absolutely i could
3: just keep on rolling too um because <laughs> yeah. i mean you know, a- we're all we're all in quarantine now so what do we got to do but read, right
2: right exactly
0: <laughs> exactly there's a there's a really fascinating book um by um i think it's john low is it john lowen the uh, confederate neo-confederate reader Um, which kind of discusses the approach of the Confederacy uh, through primary source documents. Uh, I came across one of them called uh, uh, diseases and peculiarities of the Negro race, which I've actually wound up using in my classroom um, Hmm. as um, a perspective, because, you know, we always talk about, you know, we, we understand how horrible slavery was, but the article, this particular article written by Dr. Samuel Cartwright, was an interesting perspective to show why Confederates did support slavery in terms of a, not necessarily a financial, but more of a, a moral and, I guess, scientific perspective. So it was, you know, so whenever the kids are like, why would people own slaves? When we get to that point, it's like, this is some of the the explanation for that. It's a pretty fascinating book as
3: well.
2: Sure. Uh, do you have any favorite movies about the Civil War?
3: Oh, man. I got to admit, I'm not really a big... I can't I can't sit. So even as I talk to you guys, I'm standing. Um, so I don't sit well. For <laughs> no problem. Um, you know, I, I can't really put my finger on a specific Civil War movie that jumps out to me, except for maybe Glory. Because, of course, just like the Gods and Generals or the Gettysburg series that came out, you know, Glory was sort of one of these movies that comes out when I was younger.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
3: sort of remember watching it and then thinking as they would pan across battle lines or camp scenes what each of these guys were thinking. And I think Glory, although it's got a lot of more doses of Hollywood than history in it, um, has really stood up well after all these years. So I go back to it all the time. Um, But I would also say that if you guys are ever sort of um, needing a video or documentary to recommend for your classroom to talk about Civil War battles, there's a production company called Wide Awake Films. Hmm. And they've done a lot of battle documentaries that are really well produced. The narrative, the narrator is engaging. Um, sort of the, the media score behind it is not antiquated, so you're not going to hear, no offense, Battle Hymn of the Republic when they open. <laughs> um, That's okay. And, and they use a lot of reenactors who are not fat and balding, so you get a sense of what a Civil War battle looked like. So I remember seeing a few of those in you know course curriculum in high school and college, and it really sort of opened my mind to you know to what at that time was augmented reality right um of what these things may have looked like so yeah to check out the wide awake um series of videos um they're still available you can buy them on dvd if you still have a dvd player
2: i I do blu-ray players will play
3: (laughs) dvd players
2: just in case you didn't know that hatfield
0: (laughs) i i'm still trying to i'm having a difficult time trying to find 1917 on vhs
2: Ah, uh, oh, you know did, Gettysburg is what you really need. But anyway, uh, Drew, you know we have referenced this story about pantsless soldiers a couple times, and and before we wrap things up here, I think we need to tell the story because we've kind of teased on this a few times. And then I'm curious if if you have any other just fun stories for us. Um, about the civil war and i realize i'm asking you to go into the rolodex and just randomly pick something out but, um no, hey i love I'll the ask, stories you told i, I want to so.
1: hear the uh i want to hear the Ernest the ferryman story when you have a chance
3: <laughs> i don't know that was going to come up all right so <laughs> you guys wanted to start with pencil soldiers right
2: let's start there <laughs> hatfield get, get ready this is your moment
3: so actually i'm going to pick on hatfield for a second so that i don't was know if you ever were, were you raised in north carolina
0: Uh, I was actually born in Atlanta, then we moved to Alabama, and then to South Carolina, and then North Carolina.
3: Even better. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) have you ever heard the idea, or rather the story, that Confederate soldiers were often shoeless or ragged? I mean, is this anything that was ever in your sort of... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's popular memory. So you have this... What historians now call the myth of the ragged rebel, <clears throat> and it's this idea that, of course, the Confederate army fights valiantly with fewer cartridges and fewer shoes and fewer pieces of hardtack than the Union army, yet they somehow doggedly hold on for all these years, and it, it fits very nicely into what we know as as sort of this Confederate mythology post-war period, and it's it's been a pervasive it's been a pervasive story for a really long time. Um, and it, and it, and again, it fits that sort of general narrative that people are thankfully starting to break away from now, but the ragged rebel is, is true. It, it is very true from like the spring of 1862 until that fall and winter, because regardless of what Confederate army you're in, whether that be the one, you know, cruising through Kentucky or trying to defeat the Union army down here on the peninsula or in Antietam, these Confederate armies are not going to stop moving and fighting and dying for at least 10 months. And in that period of time, the fledgling Confederate government is having a hard time trying to figure out how to feed and clothe these guys and supply them. So it's true, but for a brief period of time in team blue, the exact same thing's happening. You have hundreds of thousands of guys who are under arms, mobile moving around and you know, the, the federal government, quote unquote, is having equally a hard time trying to figure out how to provide and clothe and care for these guys. So they, they have started enlisting, enlisting contractors who, of course, aren't making things to what, what would be the government's approved methods and the government's approved materials, um, which would include, for example, pegging shoes instead of sewing them as would have been preferred. Uh, or using a variety of different sewing machines, like a chain stitch versus hand sewing them, which provides... No,
0: no, hair. what do you mean by pegging shoes? Oh, yeah,
3: sorry, good thing you stopped me. So a shoe in the 19th century um, is going to be sewn, so the sole of the shoe is going to be sewn onto the bottom of it. And pegging mm-hmm. comes about in the antebellum period, but isn't accepted as a, as a process to keep the sole on the shoe by the federal army uh, until they really start tinkering with contractors. So for the New Jersey Brigade, my homeboys who are here uh, (laughs) on the peninsula, when they get down to the Virginia Peninsula, they sit in the trenches at Yorktown for just about a month. And both their shoes, which have been pegged instead of sewn, and their pants, which have been zipped up with a sewing machine, um, are really starting to fail Completely. They're just either rotting off their body or falling apart um, which leaves them by the Battle of Williamsburg the majority of them fighting in the thickets at Williamsburg pantsless or shoeless. Hmm. So when they parade which is, down which the Duke is how you of do it. Street Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> well, ball or move. But as you parade down the Duke of Gosha Street um, <laughs> on their way out of town, they are relatively naked. And you, know, <laughs> you see the same thing with George Washington's army too. So providing for soldiers and dealing with unscrupulous contractors uh, has always been an issue for for standing armies. So certainly the Union Army in 1862 is experiencing the same shortage that the Confederate Army is as well.
1: Oh, there you go.
3: <laughs> so, that's the naked soldier story.
2: Uh, it's, I, I appreciate that because I couldn't remember for the <laughs> life of me. And now we've got it and I can share it with my students for years to come. <laughs> uh, not, uh, not, Gelmacher, you had a story that you were interested in?
1: Yeah, uh, tell us about uh, Ernest the Ferryman, if you don't mind.
3: So so um, <clears throat> this is a Civil War Trails site that my coworker, Chris, and I um, stumbled across recently, um, and we were trying to figure out how to make the sign more exciting, so we started doing some research. So this happens in eastern Tennessee. It's this battle that you probably would have never heard of ever called the Battle of Limestone Station, which happens in the fall of 1863. And um, there's this moment, like I had described to you all before, where there's this small, this small piece of evidence about what had happened at this ferry, and it just sets our mind on fire, and we can't stop laughing about it. So the Union Army gets just, just lit up at this place called Limestone Station, and this one specific regiment, the 100th Ohio, goes flying off the field. I mean, these just guys got whomped. And they're flying off the field in retreat, and they hit this river called the Nola River. And at the Nola Chucky River is a ferry, and there's this guy whose last name is Ernst or Ernest, and he apparently helps these guys across the river under fire. But what we found out about Ernest is that he apparently wrote each of their names down in his ferry book as paying customers, as he. He helps them get across the river. So oh, wow. think, about, think about this for a second. Is it dawning on you yet? Uh. Uh-uh. You have the Hundredth Ohio with Confederates hot on their heels, people oh. shooting at them, artillery shells coming down, and they hit this you know local yokel Ernest who's running the ferry, and he's got like, y'all got to get going, huh? And he apparently <laughs> sits there. And starts writing their names down.
2: So, he's stalling. so the
3: only quote we have is that Ernest quote crossed them over and took their names down in his book, 35 of them, almost entirely exhausted. So <laughs> here's Ernest, you know, Colonel Hayseed himself taking 35 guys across this river. And I can only imagine the conversation he's having with these guys from Ohio who are probably like, you know, jumping around, like, can we get going here, Ernest? Can we get across the river? Like, as, as bullets start whizzing by them, here's <laughs> Ernest. Like, well, what's your name? Where are you from? Can't get there from here. Okay. I just well, I again. mean, you, you got to keep your book straight. I mean, I mean, yeah.
0: eventually someone's, the revenuer is going to come by and get his taxes, so,
3: you know. <laughs> but that's, that's one of the coolest things about this is, like, the quote that we have about the crossing comes from this ferryman. I took all thirty-five <laughs> of their names. Well, what the hell? <laughs> You're in the middle of a battle, right? So, <laughs> so, what we have to do as public historians is think about that and figure out what climate there was, because from the Confederate perspective, they are chasing these guys to the river, right? So, so here's Ernest just cools cucumber.
1: Well, thank you for that.
3: I mean, you know, there's another one that Chris and I stumbled across recently. If you don't mind, oh, Um, absolutely. That's why you're here. We don't know a lot. We don't know a lot about this guy. Um, So, do you all know where Asheville, North Carolina, is? Kind of. Uh, yeah. Up in the mountains, (laughs) right? Yes. So you got this guy William Powers, who's getting up there in age. By the time the war breaks out, he's in his late 30s, we think. And he joins this group in Asheville called the Rough and Ready Guards. Hmm. And when he signs his name to the logbook, he signs his name as his profession as being a landsman. So he's like a farmer. So he joins this Rough and Ready Guards. He's sort of long in the tooth for Civil War soldiers already. Mm -hmm. And they send him down to coastal North Carolina. And this, you know, mountain farmer gets recruited to be put on a Confederate ironclad. so you got this guy from what is literally almost the middle of nowhere confederacy who's probably never seen an ocean in his life and within months william is now on the most advanced technologically adept modern battleship that the world has ever seen and i just (laughs) part of me just sort of wonders like what was this guy thinking about as you know, shells <laughs> bounced off this iron battleship in the middle of the you know the Hampton Roads and Chesapeake Bay, and it just just like just like Ernest, it sort of gets my mind going that we only know so much about Ernest and we only know so much about William, but when you take them and you understand the context of which they operated in their world, you know it's cool for Ernest to stop the battle to take their names, and you know Powers was probably sitting there <laughs> thinking about what his corn crop was going to do as you know Union shells bounced off this battleship. Um, and it it just blows my (laughs) mind. And that, that for me is why I get so excited about history. Um, because we get to fill in the blanks and we can sort of fuel our imaginations. And I don't know about you, but like, I've read these stories before and I'm just getting excited thinking about them. Um, because to me, they're exciting because these people aren't much different than you or I.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt um that's awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah got any others yeah we um <laughs> no.
0: my uh, wife and i on our um one of our i guess our first anniversary we went and uh we went to kenston and saw the um the i guess it's the css noose yeah um and that uh, we went and we went to go see the 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 you know god bless her she will you know she wants to go and see these historic things and i'm like well let's go see the um the the museum and of course we were the only two people that went in to sit in and watch the little video where (laughs) it was almost farcical how they built this ship and then fitted her with people who did not know how to run a boat and then the you know then it becomes grounded and then they finally get it up to float again but then they wind up having to blow it up when you know the area is being sieged by union troops. so it's like and they have this huge museum to a, a boat that really it was it's almost farcical. And those kind of stories are like, you know, wow, it's like it's the, the gang who couldn't shoot straight, you know, and.
3: But that's real. I mean, and and you, yeah. can't, make, you can't make these stories up. It's like Barziza's story, too. I mean, these things just almost sounds sort of surreal to us um, and I think that's one reason why at least early early on for me you know when my grandfather has told me these stories about World War II, they just seem to come alive but when you when you think about the noose and how it's built and what happens to it it is it is kind of a little a little funny um, <laughs> you know when you think about <laughs> the Confederate camel Corps um, it makes you wonder like why camels um, you know and it gives you easy scratch in your head but K- Kinston although not to just totally not to p- totally pull this full circle, but Kinston is a great example of of where sort of history, art, and culture sort of meld together. So when you guys went to Kinston, you went to the museum, but did you go anywhere else in town?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we went, uh, we stayed at the, a brewery in the area had actually remodeled a hotel. Okay. Yep and um mother
3: earth motor lodge
0: mother earth motor lodge yeah we stayed yeah. there um which was r- really kind of hip and sort of retro and of course we went to the chef and the farmer there you go Uh restaurant that was there um they did have a i don't know if it. i don't think it was to scale but they did have a replica of the css noose on a corner that we happened to stumble across but uh, there's not a whole lot really else there. But um, The Chef and the Farmer is a very famous restaurant because of a uh, PBS series of the uh, the lady who uh, who runs that particular restaurant. And so uh, we, w- we really went. She wanted to go there. And, of course, she wanted to stay. So, yeah. So, I mean, the point is, is that you're right. We went to go do this. But, you know, we wind up you know, taking in this history um, uh, consequentially, I guess. Or
3: thank, thank you. Your royalty check will be in the mail. You made my point. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: uh, we do what we can. I <laughs> That's mean, right. You know,
3: like there's there's little sites like this all around. Um, I mean, Kinston's awesome. You got nearby the Pickle Festival. I get questions from people through our website about the Pickle Festival. I mean, this is just how people view these things. Um, but the is that same- on Olive? Yeah yeah mount
0: yeah. olive pickles yeah yeah
3: yeah i mean but the same could be said for even places that you know folks tend not to think about like you know since the harriet tubman trail has come up we get a lot of requests about what to eat and where to see you know sites around the eastern shore of maryland um but mm-hmm. there's a place out there called linchester mill in preston maryland and um you know it's it's a site along what's called huntington creek which is part of underground railroad and i'll be honest with you i can sit there all day and stare down into the woods and just try to imagine watching people hide and flee the underground railroad along Huntington Creek. And I think that's one really cool thing about what we do is we get people to these places. And then our goal is to, you know, turn them over with just a brief amount of information to let their minds wander and want to know more about it. Um, It's just, it's incredibly rewarding. Absolutely.
2: Well, this has been, very, very satisfying, to be honest with you. I have enjoyed the hell out of this. Absolutely.
0: Satisfying is a really way to underplay it. Yeah, absolutely.
2: No, no, no. no. I, I mean, like, I have been looking forward to this at, with bated breath since we did, We've we decided when we were going to do this. I've been so excited, and it's everything that I hoped it would be and more. So, yeah, Drew Gruber, great. thank you so much for joining us on The History Bros. I truly appreciate this.
3: Well, thank you guys for having me. I was I was kind of honored that you asked and I, I hope it I hope it lived up to what you wanted. Oh, <laughs> oh god. Every no, this bit. Is, this
1: oh yeah, is, absolutely, man. This, this is, is
0: fantastic. I mean, like I said when we uh, were at the beginning wanting to put this together, we were like, okay, who were some people that we would like to have on there and you were literally one of the the top two names that we had. Yep. Um the another one was um, uh, uh andy angle who uh is with uh colonial williamsburg that we're trying to get uh, to, uh he, uh,
2: he knows he on. knows andy hatfield
0: yes i know but the <laughs> listeners don't but, I could, uh, I yeah
3: listen, i could listen to andy all day he is brilliant and just delivers things in such an easy way to understand and such oh, yeah. a funny way to understand him too um he's he's great but i mean i'll be honest I sometimes have a huge sense of imposter syndrome working in this because people like Andy who are out there or a lot of these other park rangers that that I know as friends, just blow my mind and I can sit and listen to them for hours. Um, so there's there's no there's no lack of amazing historians out there who who are just doing this just amazing, amazing work um, that every week sort of changes in scope and size and content. It's just cutting edge and inspiring.
0: Well, again, it's, uh, we are so thankful that you, you took the time to hop on and, and talk to us about this kind of stuff because it really gives us a perspective, not only just of uh, historical aspects, but, you know, the behind the scenes, um, what it takes uh, to, to run one of these. So thank you so much for coming on to, uh, to talk to us. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely, and and, and I, I will I'll, I'll say this for sure, anybody that can get us two episodes worth of of content, we love. So <laughs> I appreciate that so much. <laughs> no, this has been amazing. So thank you again, and of course, Drew, you work with Civil War Trailways, uh, and we've got the uh, the the link posted. Uh, if you're looking for how to get a hold of those Civil War maps, or just to get more information at civilwartrailways.org, dot uh, org, it's right there in, in the, the liners. Otherwise, civilwartrailways.org dot uh, org on the internet. Uh, you guys have a Facebook page, I would assume.
3: We do. Uh, you can find us Civil War Trails.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, Civil War Facebook, Trails.
3: Twitter, Instagram, um, we pretty active on all of them um so yeah you can keep up with us there if you're in the field and want a suggestion of where to eat or drink or stay overnight just tweet us or send us a message we can help or if you're sitting at home loving this quarantine life and starting to plan your next vacation just pop on <laughs> site and check out what we have to offer and shoot us an email it'll be me or chris who answers
2: absolutely well thank you again any final thoughts before we go from anybody no, no I mean, man this has been great thank you yeah, so much covered again.
0: everything i needed yeah it was fantastic
2: all right well drew gruber once again thank you so much from the history bros thank you with that we'll wrap things up here on the history bros of course i'm jason rude joined by uh jason hatfield and brian geldmacher and of course we had our guest drew gruber today uh, and on the last episode thank you again everybody have a good one see ya peace out deuces